Who are the Mountain Meisters? Committing to the goal and galvanizing you and your team behind that one single focus. Being at peace with that fear and being okay with it. You gain a real appreciation for your life and for what you have. Learn about their extreme lives on rock, snow, and ice five days a week with your hosts, Russell Wilcox and Ben Shank. Meister fans, welcome. Before we welcome our guest today, a lot of times Russell and I will talk to people about where and when they listen to the podcast. And one person in particular said, yeah, I love your podcast. I go on my smartphone every day. I go to your website and then I click through your website and listen to the episodes. That's not the way to listen to Mountain Meister. You should download one of the many podcast platforms. Russell and I are not in the business of app designing. We're in the business of podcasting. So Use our friends at iTunes or at Stitcher Radio or at SoundCloud. Listen on one of those platforms because it's so much easier than going to our website on the smartphone. So without me complaining anymore, let's welcome our next guest. Hello, Meister fans. Welcome to Mountain Meister. This is Russell. Hey, everyone. This is Ben. Today on the show, we have Fitz Cajal. Fitz has just about the coolest job anyone could ever want. He's a podcast host and the creator of The Dirtbag Diaries, one of the most popular outdoor podcasts. Fitz has worked in digital media and film since he made the leap from print in 2006. He owns Duct Tape Then Beer Productions with his partner and wife, Becca Cajal, and has been an avid climber for 17 years. Fitz, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I'm super stoked to be here. Yeah, the coolest job, Fitz. You're a podcast creator and host. (laughs) And some of our listeners may be familiar with it. It's called The Dirtbag Diaries, like Russell said. And they're probably also thinking, Russell and Ben, what are you, stupid? You're going to have your competition on the show? (laughs) But let it be known that I don't think that you consider us competition or us for you uh, we have very different formats. Ours is more of a an interview format about a person's life and fits. Yours is more of a you know a variety of topics that focus on the moments that define us in the outdoors. Can you talk a little bit just about Dirtbag Diaries to start off? Yeah, totally. Um, first off, I I think that there's so much room for good content out there that I, I think it's really hard to even consider anybody competing uh-huh. with each other because it's just like there there aren't enough good outdoor conversations and stories out there. There should be more. And when it starts to get too much, uh, you know, maybe I think we'll all realize it, but I, I think that there's so much room and, and, and a real big desire from people to tell to tell good stories and have great conversations. And that really, I mean, that's the idea behind the Dirtbag Diaries is that it seemed like there were so many stories out there that were just falling through the cracks that people didn't have time to create, that they didn't, um, it, it takes a lot of work to track down incredible stories and find these moments in people's lives and then bring them out into this radio format. And that's really like, what it was is I just saw these really cool stories slipping through the cracks and it made me wonder how many other cool stories like this are slipping through the cracks. And I just started putting them together. You know, first it was the stories that I knew that I was like, Hey, there's a great story that I would love to tell, but I have no venue to tell it in. And I started, you know, basically creating the podcast to serve as a vehicle to tell those stories. And then it really became this reality that it's like, there's a lot of people out there that have, 
powerful experiences in the outdoors. Some of them are professional athletes. Some of them are beginners. Some of them are just like kind of regular Joes like me that have had profound experiences in wild places. And it was like, let's bring those stories of the community and create about 20 stories a year that are really about this lifestyle. And it doesn't necessarily be the climbing lifestyle or the skiing lifestyle, but this sort of, um, it's a little bit of a counterculture. I mean, I think these are the stories of, a, of a, something that's a little bit counterculture of people that are kind of living their lives a little bit differently. And that's really what the, what the Dirtbag Diaries is all about. Yeah, and we really want to do it behind the scenes of the Dirtbag Diaries and also the umbrella company, Duct Tape Then Beer Productions. And looking back at, you started this in 2007, right? So you've been doing this a long time. You have a lot of content out there. Where did it all start? Where did the idea come from? Yeah, basically, I I mean, I have always wanted to be a writer. And I I don't even know, I couldn't tell you like at what stage that started. It just has kind of always been prevalent in in my life really from from a young age and you know I was trained as a journalist I worked for newspapers and then that industry went to hell um, and basically there weren't a lot of options for me so I started doing outdoor writing and travel writing out of college and I kind of just barely pieced it together for a lot of years and it was really brutal and it felt really fake to me I'll be like dead honest it's like I, I mean I I, I, I don't want to insult some of the people I worked with because I worked with great people, but overall, I felt like a lot of the stuff I was doing in those years was just really fake and not all that honest, you know, even though it was sort of billed as, you know, sort of like the, this authority voice, it seemed like we weren't really talking about the things that were important or, you know, you'd go and interview a pro climber and you weren't supposed to talk about this, this, and this, even though that was kind of one of the interesting things or, or sort of defined who they were. And so I, you know, I mean, I was like on the level of like, you know, I was talking to people, I would do stories about people like Chris Sharma or, or Tommy Caldwell or, you, you know, whoever it was like, you know, I was in magazines like climbing or powder and, and I was able to do stories about them. But then I also have these other really cool stories that just didn't have a home that they would, they weren't about a pro climber or they were about a different kind of topic and I couldn't sell them. And basically I just got to the stage where I was just done with, you know, that, that journalism slash writing side. It was like, it just wasn't going to work financially for me. I wasn't going to be able to have a life that worked doing that. Fitz, you, you mentioned in there that there are some topics that may have been, or you were asked to avoid those. Do you feel comfortable saying specifically what, what kind of things you're talking about? Oh, I mean, it just was like, you know, I, I, I was always really interested. I, I can't talk about those things specifically, I'd say, but it was just like, you know, you do a story and they'd be like, we really want a in-depth look at this athlete or whatever. And then you'd go and you'd do, and you'd find these incredible things about this person, or maybe they had this wild backstory, or you know, maybe they were struggling with something in their lives that was a lot bigger than climbing, and it would just be like, nope, nope, we're just going to figure out you know, how hard was the boulder problem in the middle of their new project. And that was, that's what I sort of mean, where it was like, it just wasn't, it didn't feel complete to me, and it didn't really feel like, it didn't feel that interesting, yeah. I guess, is what it was. It kind of felt like I was doing the same thing over and over and over again. And 
it, it just didn't, wasn't sustainable. You know, it wasn't like I was making a lot of money doing that. And so if it wasn't, you know, it wasn't going to provide any sort of regular financial stability and it wasn't really going to do it for me creatively. It just was like, I was kind of at my wits end with that. And that's just why I started the diaries is I, it was like a hail Mary of all hail Marys of being like, well, this is kind of my last chance. And yeah. so I kind of went for it. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Good, good answer. Um, so I'm sure you get this question all the time because for some reason, this is a question that Russell and I get all the time. Ours is how do you find and how do you get a hold of the people who you're interviewing? And for you, it's how do you find those stories? It's the hardest thing that we do uh, is to find those stories. It's, it's like it, 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 it gets easier as you go along because people start coming to you. As we've built this, this incredible audience, people start coming to us and approaching us with story ideas. So it becomes a little bit easier. But in the beginning, that's, it's really difficult. For me, it was the first year wasn't bad. I kind of like had a pretty good understanding. There were a bunch of things I wanted to do. And so I just made it all happen. And then there was a point where it was like, oh crap, what do I do now? You know, like where's the next great story? And so much of it comes from just being curious of, of having conversations, you know, and, and talking to people around campfires and just wondering about people's lives and kind of engaging on it. I mean, it, I don't mean to make this sound shallow or, or anything like that, but there's this, you know, great, saying in journalism or documentary filmmaking, it's like everybody's favorite topic is themselves. <laughs> and, you know, if, if you're a storyteller, you kind of need to stop talking about yourself and start being curious about other people. And it's amazing when you kind of approach it like that, people will share funny things with you and people will tell you really private stuff and people will become more sure of their own story when you engage them on it. And so basically it's this process of, of, of trying to be out in the community, of making sure that we do the things that we love on a regular basis and aren't working too much. And that so we're out there, we're engaging with people, we're just being curious about the world. And I think that that's like, the story has become the sort of byproduct of that curiosity and it, it's 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 just a sort of habit you need to develop of of kind of talking to people and kind of finding out how, who they are and what makes them tick and what they're about and that's been our strategy to finding stories. This is such a unique dynamic right now because it's both of our jobs fits to evoke that emotion and the, the talking in other people. So it's a pretty funny uh, dynamic. Well, yeah, we do the same thing right, exactly. at our show, and people sometimes tell us after the interviews, you know. We have never told anyone those <laughs> yeah. things, and it, you're just yeah. engaging. You're being curious. You're you're asking sometimes even the dumb questions that get really great things out of them just by them feeling comfortable and them really wanting to tell the story. Too. Yeah. I mean, they're interesting, and we probably are starting to get a little desensitized on some of these stories just because we hear them so much. Mm -hmm. How amazing they are, but we get feedback from our listeners. You know, that was an unbelievable story. It's just, it's really cool to hear. You guys are, you guys are at a slight disadvantage too. It's funny because you, you know, you, you like actually have to be on tape <laughs> interviewing people <laughs> and I've got, I just can sound like a moron. I mean, you should see like my interviews, like they're rambling and I'm not always on point and my questions are a little bit, I mean, if there's this, I mean, there's a complete method to the madness, but uh, it does not come off as like an NPR interview if you were to listen <laughs> to the raw nuts and bolts of what I do. I sound like an idiot. And that actually turns out 
that um, maybe people feel sorry for me. I don't know what it is, but it's just, it's sort of um, disarming. You know, just asking something in a, in a way that's very um, just genuine, mm-hmm. not maybe not so naive, maybe maybe a touch naive, but just asking something that might sound like a dumb question. It's it's a, you can get incredible information out of that, and I, I don't know. There's something about it of just asking, not being afraid to ask a dumb question. I think I mean, that there's a there's a level of comfort involved on whoever you're talking to, and it was funny. My sister actually pointed this out to me one time and said. When she listens to people in podcasts versus reading, so so for example, you, you you do writing and then you also do a podcast. But when she hears a raw form of a podcast, it almost humanizes them more. Whereas if you're reading something that somebody wrote, they're almost like, "Wow, like who is this person?" And it's so perfect. Whereas when you just hear them talk, and maybe there are mistakes in there, I don't know. It just there's a comfort level involved. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I mean, you started with the podcast, but now you have a bunch of other things that you do. You created the season, which Mm -hmm. I was checking out some of the episodes and it just looks awesome. I think essentially you're following five athletes around for an entire season and really getting the stories with great footage and some storytelling in there too. So how did that idea come about? Basically, I was always really kind of an a bit of a geek. I don't know. Like to me, maybe it was because I went to school in Seattle right around the first dot com boom. Mm-hmm. Um, it was always really captivating to me how these new technologies and how online would impact storytelling, journalism, writing in general. It was clear that it was going to have this massive impact. So f- right from the early stage, I was like, well, what what could we do? And the, the diaries was the first thing that we did. Um, it made sense at the time you know it was like people kind of forget that i mean 2007 doesn't sound that long ago to me but it's amazing to think that it was like streaming and people's quality of their bandwidth was <laughs> terrible compared to, to what it is now well when did the iphone come out that was at 2007 2007 yeah. so really people had to use ipods right. for iTunes yeah. and, and that. So that was before all the smartphones. So, yeah. 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 I mean, it was definitely, it was a very different thing. And um, basically, I've always paid attention or tried to pay attention to when the right time to do something is. And the podcast work, because it was just like, that was really taking off. It was starting to gain sort of mainstream momentum. It was a great time to do it. Basically, I just sort of waited and I, you know, found the right people to work with and the right time to launch the season because, you know, it was just, it was more intensive in terms of what you had to do, um, both on a production side, but also just like, we need more online resources um, to really be able to, to execute it well. And it was, I mean, that first, like uh, first time we did the season, it was even just like people, you know, email complaining about, how it wasn't running on their smartphone. And I mean, I would have to figure out how to code everything different for a smartphone and all that. And we don't worry about any of that anymore. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was like, it's just like, I I don't even, I would struggle to write a line of code right now. It's just like, I've had to turn off that side of my brain in the last few years, just because of how much easier it's gotten to deliver media. So basically, yeah, it was like, uh, you know, I started the diaries and then I just kept looking at different ways that I could keep telling stories and, um, you know, film became one of them because it was uh, video cameras were way more accessible. Editing software was way more accessible, and so it just it became an, another way to tell stories and do that. And it's you know it's really evolved. Um, 
you know, I look back at the season. I think a lot of people love the season. The season was a, one of the best things I could have done in my entire career. Um, it was a, a lot of hard work, but also a blast to make it and create it. And it was very fulfilling. But I look back at it and I think, oh, God, it was so it was clunky. Like I, I don't like, I look back at that and I don't like it. And, um, you know, I just, I think that we've kept evolving and kept doing that. And it's, it's all from the idea of like delivering the best story in the the venue you've chosen and making sure that you pick the right story for the right type of media. And we're very careful about what we do in film and what we do on the radio or what we do in print. And those are, those are like, we're very, I get to work in all three of those, places and it completely like it's rad to have that because any story i get i can just figure out which one to put it into and i don't think that a lot of other creatives always have that option they're sort of being like well if it's not going to work in film i'm not going to do it if it's not going to work in podcasting i'm not going to do it and i kind of have this awesome ability you know i've been fortunate enough to build a big enough team to around us that we can tell stories duct tape and beer has enough people working for it that we can really be aggressive and dynamic in in the types of stories we tell and how we tell them. Yeah, and it's interesting because pretty much every business is centered around having good quality products or good quality services. And for you, you really need to have really good quality content that you're, you're putting out the really good stories for anyone to continue following, continue listening. And so everyone knows about that side of the business. But something people don't think a lot about is once you have this great product or this good content for you, is you then need to sell it to people somehow too. And so right now, 2014, a lot of people don't really know the value in podcasting. How was it back in 2007 that you could convince people that they wanted to be part of your podcast? You know, I think that I think that there's a, there were a couple things going on. One, we were pretty fortunate that we were really like very early to the scene. So there wasn't a lot of competition. And the other thing is that we had this wonderful relationship with Patagonia. And I'd, I'd been writing for the Patagonia catalog for a while beforehand. And this was the, I mean, it's, again, it's kind of funny even to put in these terms, but most companies didn't even have blogs at that stage. And it's like how ubiquitous is a company blog now? <laughs> Everybody has one. It's no, you know, like I'm not even sure how many people are reading them anymore, but the Patagonia had this new blog and it was excellent. It was created perfectly. And it just seemed like this great thing is that we could, we could provide content for that blog. And, um, you know, they were really supportive of the idea right from the start and they were smart enough and kind of, you know, had a sense that things were really shifting from, old forms of marketing and engagement and storytelling and they're shifting in this new direction. And so we've been able to build this very long relationship with Patagonia because of that. And so it is hard. I mean, you know, at the beginning, you know, people maybe heard the word podcast, but I don't think most people really understood what it was. Like they didn't quite understand that it was more of a delivery mechanism and more of a way than of listening than it was an actual medium you know like yeah it's like that it could be a lot of different things right it could be a video it could be a um, a radio show it could be a lot of different things and people just didn't get that at the beginning i mean because we were like with the season you know between the video it was like some of the people we were explaining to them what youtube was (laughs) back then and it's like that it was on that level and um i just was really patient with it and i really believed that all this stuff would one day make sense to people and 
it started to and it did you know because it made sense to me and i was like i think it's going to make sense to other people um and they're going to start to use it and it's um that's kind of just what i've done is i've just been really calm and tried to explain people what this is going on and show that people that there's this incredible community out there that they're able to tap into and um you know that's kind of that's been the trick to it of 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 you know being in the right place at the right time and understanding how to be there but then also explaining to sponsors why it's important and why it's you know why doing something real and being a part of something that's real is important versus just doing advertising because it's just it's a new landscape out there for these companies and it's not easy to figure out how to just do it. In the in the old days, you just spent a lot of money. You you made an ad, you spent a lot of money, you put the ad everywhere, and that was kind of what a lot of marketing was. And it's so different now because it's like, as consumers, we have the ability to opt into advertising. And we're willing to do it, but you need to do it in the right way if you're a company. And I just worked really hard to explain that to people. And that slowly happened. Yeah, it sounds like it takes a ton of patience, but it has its rewards on the other end. Yeah, it's like the it's like the there's this great saying in alpine climbing. It's like why do you why do you go alpine climbing? And the alpine climber responds back and they say, "You know, it's like when you bang your head against the wall for an hour straight. After that hour when you stop, it feels really good." <laughs> and and that's like this process has felt like that a lot of the time. It doesn't feel like that anymore, but there have been certain stages of, of my career that have just felt like I'm banging my head against the wall. And then you have these moments where you, you have a little bit of relief and a little bit of respite from that. And it feels incredible and it sustains you. And you realize you've just done something that's very rewarding, even though it was very difficult. And, and that's, that's what's helped me through the years. Hmm. So we've talked a lot about the outdoors on this interview, but you do need to spend a lot of time indoors to make this stuff work. And your office is right in Seattle, um, I guess better proximity to the mountains than New York or Miami, but in the city nonetheless. Are you getting outdoors? You met, we mentioned you're a climber earlier in the show. Yeah. Um, for me, if I don't maintain my relationship to the natural world, I become a very grumpy person. <laughs> I don't, you know, like just cause I, I'm not who I am. And fortunately I am lucky enough to live in Seattle, which is a big city, which helps us do a lot of the work we do, but also has, you know, it's like I can be skiing, uh, in an hour. Mm -hmm. Um, there's mountain bike trails that are a 25 minute drive from my house. It's not, you know, like the woods are not that far away from where I live and there's incredible mountains that you know have a lifetime of exploration contained inside of them that I can see from my bike commute in the morning. And so yeah, I, I mean basically I've stayed even as even as my life has gotten busier and you know I've become a father and I've done all this it's like there's this incredible feeling I I experience when I'm out in the natural world doing the things I love. Mm -hmm. And for me I have to do that or I won't I won't be who I am and I won't be able to make the stuff that we make. And that's, that's the really cool part about it is that it's sort of this, like, it keeps you honest. Like if you're not doing that, there's no reason, you know, it, it's like I could be working for Coca-Cola, 
you know, so yeah. I have to do the things I love or I'm, there's just no point in doing what I'm doing unless I'm maintaining my own personal relationship to, to the natural world. And so, yeah, I do, I do get out. I think it, you know, for me, like running a business, being a dad, having a social life and all that, man, you have to be organized and diligent and you have to say yes as much as possible when someone kind of says, do you want to go out way before work or do you want to, you know, go out after work? It might get dark and we might need to come out and headlamps. So I just, I try to just realize like that you don't always get to recreate on your perfect terms, but that any day out's, you know, better than a day in front of a computer, basically. Yeah. It must be hard for you to say yes that much because you're talking to so many different people about so many cool things and you probably become friends with them. I mean, this is what's happening to us right now is we're starting to become friends with all these people who are doing awesome things. And we already got invited to go skiing in Gulmarg, India. We're like, we would ne- I wouldn't even know where that place was if we didn't yeah. do this. And now we've probably met about 50 people that live in the Salt Lake City area, Seattle. <laughs> and so we live in Connecticut. Like, we're going to have to get our own private jet or yeah, something like that. that. But uh, I totally know what you're saying about, you know, making sure you're, you're getting out. And this is the biggest question of the interview. And it's actually, it's going to make or break us, too, how you answer that. Okay. It'll change the way our listeners think about us too. I don't even so, know what you're going to ask. Right there's, a, there's, there's a lot of pressure. There is a lot of this, pressure. This answer right now. I, I'm a little intimidated. I'm not going to lie. You're in the outdoor industry. You're doing this full time. You've created all this amazing content, but at the end of the day, you're creating content. You're not creating a physical product. It's a tough thing to think about if you're making like a really big difference in this world and if you're satisfied with the work that you've been doing the last eight years? I always think that I could be getting better. There are days where I completely doubt everything I do and doing something like this will always come with those sort of neuroses of being like, am I doing the right thing? Um, you know, is it worth the the effort I put into this? I think that if you're a creative person, it's like, you're going to go, you're going to deal with that. You're going to sort of deal with that sort of the tough times and the good times and the highs and the lows. There's, there's a manicness to it that you have to learn how to kind of ride out and deal with, or at least in my experience, that's what it is. So yeah, there are days where I'm like, am I doing the right thing with my life? Like, is this, is this what I'm supposed to be doing? Am I making a difference? And I say no. And then there are days that I know what I do has value. That, that what I've done is I've helped, helped somebody maybe maintain that relationship to the natural world, even though they're stuck in a morning commute. You know, uh, and we get that. That's what it does. I mean, that's what a lot of our content does. And we're, I, I feel insanely lucky to be in that position that, that we're actually able to talk to people and have an impact on their lives. And, you know, I we kind of joke. I get a little worried because probably about once a month we get the email from somebody being like, I just listened to your podcast and I quit my job. <laughs> and I'm like... Oh God, you know, like I, I hope that was the right call for you, man. But you know, it, it, I don't mean to sound like, Oh, this is me doing this. It's not, it's just that I figured out how to tap into a community and how to share stories 
And it's a this reflection of this community. And basically, it's like, when it comes down to it, I think our community has a real deep value to it. And the projects I do are ultimately just reflections of that community. And so, like, I may doubt myself sometimes, but I don't doubt the people that make up our community. I just don't doubt it. And um, that's, that's kind of how I keep thinking about it, even when I question what I'm doing. I, you know, I always used to think before I started the podcast, when I would hear people talk to you know, celebrities or athletes, and they would say, oh, you know, I love what you're doing, or you were so good in that. I always used to think that those people would get sick of hearing that sort of thing. But I don't think that gets old. I think that people really do appreciate when their work gets validated. Um, mm-hmm. To move on to maybe a more tangible topic, um, sure. we like to get a gear recommendation from our guests. And like we said, you are an outdoorsy person yourself. Could you recommend one piece of gear for our listeners? Yes. Well, there's many pieces of gear that <laughs> I sure sure love and use regularly, but I think probably like one of my favorite pieces of gear is uh, Patagonia makes this little tiny windbreaker called the the Houdini. They've got a couple different versions of it, and I think I own two of them. And it's just, man, the thing goes everywhere that I go. It goes on all of our photo shoots and any bike ride I take or any time I go climbing. It's just like that piece of gear, It's I, I've kind of managed to keep it going. I think the one I own is like eight years old or something wow. like that. And it's just like a keep punishing it and love it and maybe it's got some tape in a few places but it's just like this perfect piece of gear and it's tiny so it just like you can put in your pocket and i love that so yeah great recommendation we'll be sure to put that on our website mtnmeister.com right on your meister profile page and to wrap this whole thing up i want to put you in a situation so you're the keynote speaker at a huge conference i'm sure there'll be hundreds and hundreds of outdoorsy people there and they don't really know what to do next in their life and, and they need some inspiration. So what is the one piece of advice you would give to these outdoorsy people? Yeah. I mean, I, I think that it's not even an outdoorsy type message. I mean, and it's just like, man, if it's not working, do something different. Like, don't be afraid. I think that, that no matter what it is, we fear things that are going to push, push us. Right. And it's, it's hard to challenge yourself. And I would say to people, don't be afraid of it because it's like, that's the most rewarding part about life is doing things that challenge you. And that's why I love climbing. That's why I love what I do. That's, you know, why I love our community because it tends to be filled with people that, that have chosen to challenge themselves in a lot of different ways. And I think that that's, that's the thing is like, if that's what you want, you know, if you want to grow or you want to evolve, like, to do that, you have to be in a place of discomfort. Like it just, you have to be pushed and don't be afraid of that because it's like, you will forget that discomfort. Like you'll remember it, but you won't remember how intense it was five years later. And it's just like, you'll remember the successes way more than you will the failures. And I think that that's, that's just really important to remember is that it's okay to try something new and it's okay to fail and that that will help you become, you know, a better person basically. 
Um, yeah. And it, you know, that doesn't, that doesn't have to be everyone. I mean, like my best friend, man, he is like completely happy with his corporate job and completely happy. And he checks out at five o'clock at night and man, he does not care and he does not think about anything. And he's the happiest person I know. And man, there's something to be said for that too. But like, if you're a person that, that needs to be challenged to be happy, don't be afraid of that. It's like, you're going to have to go find this place of, of tension and you're going to have to figure out how to resolve that tension. And that's what ultimately will provide satisfaction for you. Awesome. Fitz, it's been great having you on the show today. Thank you so much for joining us. For our listeners, you can find highlights of today's episode on our website under Fitz's Meister profile page. Also, you can listen to the Dirtbag Diaries on the podcast app, on SoundCloud, on Stitcher. You guys are everywhere, just like us, right, Fitz? You got to be everywhere. <laughs> yeah, totally. The Dirtbag Diaries, about one episode every two weeks, inspirational stories and kind of the moments in the outdoors. Very cool. Thank you so much, Fitz. Thanks for having me, guys. I really appreciate it. I really dig what you guys are doing, too. Thanks for tuning in again, Meister fans. We loved having Fitz on the show. Ben and me personally look up to him a lot, and he's got a great show himself, Dirtbag Diaries, and so many more productions through all of his ventures he's been doing. So on that note, Ben, who do we have next? Tomorrow on the show, Russell and Meister fans, we have Sarah Hendrickson. You may know Sarah from that really popular Visa commercial that was on before the Olympics. In the Olympics, she took the first run in Sochi this past year. We're going to talk to Sarah about that moment and other really neat moments in her career. Also, don't forget that we will be giving away a pair of Smith iOS goggles for one of our listeners. The way to win these goggles is to take a picture displaying why you could possibly need a new pair of goggles. Maybe your old pair is in such terrible condition that you literally can't see out of them. Or maybe you're just a really creative person and you can think of a funny photo that would display why you need a new pair of goggles. So send it to us through Twitter, through Facebook, through Instagram, however you want to send us this picture, do it and you could have a chance to win. 